0: All right, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Daniel chapter 10, Daniel 10. And this is where those that have devices are like, yes, I can just tap to Daniel. And everyone with a paper Bible is like, where is Daniel? Um, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ and no judgment on you if you use the table of contents. So if you need to look for it, um, it is... Past most of the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you'll move on to Lamentations and some others, Ezekiel, I think it's right after Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Um, No shame if you need to look at the table of contents. While you're trying to find Daniel, uh, let me give you a couple of uh, just updates and encouragements and all those kind of things. Um, One is that we're really glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest. Uh, Welcome to Mission Church Carnival. I hope you... uh, have had a pleasant experience so far, and that you've heard the gospel sung, uh, you're about to hear the gospel preached, and uh, hopefully um, our heart's desire as a church is that you got to see the gospel on display uh, with the way that we care for one another and love one another and encourage one another and hug one another and all those things. Hopefully you felt a little bit of that warmth um, as you got here. Uh, The church Um, is known uh, for the truth. There's lots of light here. There's lots of knowledge about who God is. We preach the scriptures and all those things. Um, But the last thing we want to be is just a spotlight, where there's just light and facts. Uh, We want to be more of a campfire where there's, also, there's light, but there's also the warmth, uh, where you see God's love manifest in the way that we care for one another and treat one another and all of those things. So we hope you got to feel a little bit of that today. And um, for our church folk in the room, especially if you're a member of this body, um, we're really excited for all that God's doing here, and we're just trying to be as faithful as we can. And uh, one of the needs uh, that has come along with all of the participation um, has been more volunteers in kids' ministry. Um, So if you are able to, and if you're a member, I would beg you to consider this. If you could join the rotation and give up once a month, give up once every couple weeks, whatever it is. Uh, We're not asking you to sign up to serve every week until Jesus returns. Um, But we are asking that our church body, empty nesters, parents, you name it, that we all feel the burden um, of discipling the children that God has blessed us in this body. And uh If we add classes and do all these things and we want to be faithful, but our children get the short end of the stick, I wouldn't call that faithful. Um, So let's please um, consider that. Um, You can reach out to me. You can reach out to Angela. Um, But we need more people uh, to hop into the rotation. And if we all carry this burden, it gets very light. Um, But if we keep trusting it to a few, um, it starts to feel pretty heavy. So um, we would pray that you would think about and consider hopping in um, and jumping in and serving there. So... um, Jeff told you about the dinner and everything else. Um, how cool is that that we got to pray for Jose and Tasha and they got to send us an update just in their world. Um, I love the real time communication that God's given us in the 21st century to be able to to connect with them and all those things um, they've got a newsletter If you want to get that, i'm sure we can get you connected to that um, I don't know the URL off the top of my head, but if you want regular updates from them, uh, you can totally get those and we can get you connected. but um, let's dive into our text we've been Talking about prayer, we started this series last week and uh, I've been blown away at how much um, when we preach on prayer and we even go to texts about prayer, how much the supernatural is right alongside of prayer. Uh, We looked last week about a um, father who had a son who was possessed by a demon and Jesus um, casting that out. some of our children even drew that in their notes I was informed of this week, so that was awesome to see. Um, children keep on taking notes and drawing and reading and writing what you're learning. Um, it was awesome to see a little exorcism on the page. Uh, I don't know if I've ever said that before, but uh, super cool. So um, keep on keeping on. But um, I've been blown away at how the um, the supernatural has been wrapped right up into to this series and all of these um, text on prayer, and uh, today is going to be no less different in fact, um, in our foundations class, we are talking about the clarity and sufficiency and necessity of scripture and uh, how it 's clear enough and sufficient enough that we can take it at face value and we can accept what it says and today is going to be a good exercise in accepting what it says because Daniel ten is quite the chapter, and uh, we 're going to look at it together and i 'll give you the context of it as we dive in, but before we um, Teach it, we want to read it together. So, uh, McKenna Rivera, wherever she is, is going to come up here. She's going to read the entire chapter of Daniel 10. So, if you are, have a fear of public speaking, uh, you are cringing right now because she's got 21 verses to read, and you don't get three verses in before the name Belteshazzar is listed. So, give her some grace, stand for the reading of God's word. And um, read along with her, and then we'll pray. Thank you so much for doing this, man. No problem. And then uh, we'll pray together and jump in.
1: All right, this is Daniel 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like a barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like a sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but I had a great trembling fell upon me and they fled to hide themselves so i was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me my radiant appearance was fearfully changed and i retained no strength then i heard the sound of his words and as i heard the sound of his words i fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground and behold a trembling and behold a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees And he said to me, "O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I, was there, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and, ret- and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, "O oh, man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage." And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened, and said, "Let my Lord speak for. Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me." And then he said, "Do." Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince.
0: Amen. I think that deserves a round of applause. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray together. And uh, we've got our work cut out for us today. Father, we love you. Um, God, we ask um, that you would be magnified. God, that you would make your name great um, in this room, in our hearts. God, that you would allow your kingdom to come, your will to be done. Um, God, and let it start in us. God, humble us. um, Show us Christ in your word. Um, God, use it to conform us to the image of Christ. And uh, God, I pray if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, um, that they would come to see and savor and know Christ um, for the first time today. Um, So God, we ask the Spirit to, to move, the winds to blow, um, God, none of this will count for eternity um, unless your power works um, in these next few moments. So God, thank you that you've already been moving. Thank you that your spirit's in us to interpret this word to us and to illumine the truth to us. And uh, God, just be with us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So we're looking at Daniel chapter 10, and Daniel 10 is actually towards the end of the book of Daniel. Um, in fact, Daniel 10 through 12 is actually one kind of prophetic vision um, that starts in 10, ends in 12, and it actually ends the book of Daniel. Throughout the book of Daniel, there's four um, kind of prophetic visions that he gets, and this is the fourth of the four. This is the last one, and I'll explain kind of what's happening here and all of those things. We don't have time to, to look at all of them, um, but we'll reference a couple of them as we walk through here. Um, but we're looking at this because you see a lot about prayer here in this text, um, last week, we looked at just kind of um, the heart of prayer, um, the longing of this father for God to answer his prayer, um, the fact that he, he's asking God if he can, and God says, I, you, I can. Like, that's not a question. The question is not if I can, it's if I'm willing. Um, and we see the compassionate heart of God. And one of the things I was kind of awestruck by last week is the fact that Jesus, knowing he's going to heal this dad's son, um, even entertains the dad's questions. Like he knew what was going on. He knows our hearts. Um, the sole fact that he had this conversation was with the dad was to be able to empathize with him, was to give him an opportunity to pour out his heart to God and for Jesus to, to answer those prayers in the moment but to hear his heart, to resonate with his brokenness, to resonate with the fact that he also um, is grieved over the demonic forces in this world and his own children made in his image that are being oppressed and all of those things. But he empathizes with his father. And we saw a lot of the human emotion when it comes to prayer. Um, Today, we're going to look at a lot of the spiritual realm when it comes to prayer, more of the what of prayer, what's going on Um, And I needed this this week, because so many times um, I can forget that this whole facet of our world exists, and uh, we learn a lot about what's going on um, spiritually as we pray. Um, So Daniel is nearing the end of this book. Um, Where we find Daniel is really interesting, because Daniel is old. We'll see that in a couple minutes. Um, Scholars think he was anywhere from 84 to 86 years old at this point. And uh, Daniel was a prophet originally in Babylon. He was a prophet in Babylon, and he, knowing the Old Testament scriptures, um, had a phenomenal prophetic ministry um, where he would um, have these different visions, he would interpret dreams, he would do all of these different things, he got thrown in a lion's den and survived. Like He has um, had a phenomenal prophetic ministry, and he remembers in the book of Jeremiah um, that God's people would go into exile, and we saw this happen in the Old Testament. After David was king and Solomon was king, Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. And under Rehoboam's leadership, the kingdom of Israel split into two. And all throughout First and Second Kings, these prophets are rising up and they're telling Israel to repent of their sin, to turn back to God. Otherwise, God will pronounce his righteous judgment on their sin. And the people do not repent. And it was prophesied that Assyria would come in. We read it um, during the Christmas series, during Isaiah uh, we read it in Isaiah 9. But Assyria would come in and they would take the northern kingdom into captivity. And the southern kingdom did not learn from that warning. And prophets would rise up and they would tell Israel and call Israel to repent. And Israel would not repent. And it was prophesied that because of their sin, Babylon would come in and take the southern kingdom. So Assyria was the world power. Babylon kind of conquers the known world, comes in and takes over the southern kingdom of Israel. And Daniel knew that he was in captivity. He was a part of the Israelites that went to Babylon. This is where um, he was thrown in the lion's den and all of those things. He knew that according to Jeremiah, it was prophesied that God's people would only be in captivity for 70 years. And Daniel knew that this 70 years was about over. In fact, we find out that in Daniel chapter nine, that it is over. That this 70 years is over, and this um, reality is, pretty, is a pretty big deal because he knows that God is going to let his people come back home. And we see this happen. Um, I'll read it to you in just a second, but we see this happen. The Persian king, um, Babylon, had been conquered by Persia. Now Persia is the world power of the day. And the Persian king, um, who had his heart softened by a young Jewish woman named Esther, um, allows god's people to go back home and we see this happening I'll, I'll read it to you in verse one it says in the third year of king cyrus of persia a word was revealed to daniel whose name was Belteshazzar, and the word was true and it was a great conflict and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision so he knows that there's about 70 years of captivity and um this is now the third year of King Cyrus to Persia. Well, in the first year of King Cyrus was when the people got let go. Ezra even tells us this in Ezra chapter one. It says this, I'll show you on the screen. Ezra one, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the, word of the Lord, or that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in writing, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He was the world power of the day. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you all, <clears throat> all of his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So look at God go, right? Softens the heart of the king of Persia to where the king of Persia is making a decree and saying, hey, Yahweh, the God of Israel, wants me to build a house for him. So I'm going to let his people go. And during the first year of King Cyrus, the people go. Now we're in the third year of King Cyrus in Daniel chapter 10, and Daniel is mourning. So what happened? Why is he sad? Well, we find out later on in Ezra that only about 42,000 Jews left. Only about 42,000 Jews left Persia, to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Ezra led some, Nehemiah led another wave, but in total there was about 42,000 people, which sounds like a lot, but according to numbers of, in, during ancient Israel, um, they were reaching the millions of Jews of that day. So 42,000 was a drop in the pan. Yes, they were in exile, but when they got to Babylon, it was a clear deal. If you would compromise, if you would conform If you would um, join us in Babylon, worship our pagan gods, we'll treat you real nice. And that's exactly what happened. In fact, one of their schemes of doing this was to rename the Jews, which is why the name Belteshazzar is there. That was the, the Babylonian name that they gave to Daniel to try to conform them to their pagan world. And why is Daniel mourning? When I was writing this, by the way, I wrote David all the time. So if I say David, I mean Daniel for the next couple of minutes, okay? Um, why was Daniel mourning? Because out of hundreds of thousands, almost millions of Jews, it's finally time for them to be out of captivity and go home, and 42,000 of them go. The rest of the hundreds of thousands had been totally content and comfortable in Babylon, in now Persia, worshiping pagan gods. That's why he's mourning. And we see that two years ago they left. This is now the third year of Cyrus and Daniel is still there in Persia. So now we've got to ask the question, why didn't he go back? Some commentators argue because it was, he was 85. I don't think so because we also see that he's out praying by the Tigris, which is nowhere near Babylon and Persia. So he had totally, he's totally fine with traveling apparently. I think it was because 42,000 had gone, they had Ezra, they had Nehemiah, and Daniel was so heartbroken over his people that he thought the best route for him would be to stay and to use his position of power to pray and to plead and to beg and to remind his people of the good news of Yahweh, the one true God, and urge them to go back home. We see even Ezra and Nehemiah go back They face all of this resistance to try to rebuild the temple. They finally, eventually get it done, and they weep over it because it was not what it used to be. But we see Israel in shambles, although still fulfilling the prophecy and the words of God, they get to go home. So Daniel's there. He's mourning, and he sees this vision. Um, It says the word was true, and I love that. Um, It's like when you're about to tell someone a pretty amazing story, you go, hey, this is a true story. And you know we respond with, yeah, I would expect nothing less, right? Please don't spend the next 10 minutes telling me a lie. Um, Daniel's like, hey, and this is true, and we need to accept this as true. It says the word was true, and it was great conflict. That is an understatement. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. And this is what it says in verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine, entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. And on the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river that is the Tigris. So he's out by the Tigris, he's mourning, he's praying. I would argue that he's mourning and praying over the state of Israel, that they had the opportunity to go back to build a temple to worship the one true God, and they're totally fine with statues. Man-made, pagan idols. They had totally accepted the, the Babylonian and now the Persian way. And their gods. And it says that he's mourning. Um, he didn't actually you know, fully fast. It just says he ate no delicacies, no meat, nor wine entered his mouth. Um, but he was depriving himself of pleasures. Why? So that he could experience more dependence on the Lord. He could show physically his mourning and his brokenness before the Lord. There's a New Testament precedent um, that Jesus even assumes that his followers would fast. And does it mean that every time you pray, you have to deprive yourself of something? No, 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 no. But sometimes it helps, doesn't it? Sometimes our prayers get more honest and more dependent and more intense when physically we're showing God what we're longing for spiritually. That, hey, I would deprive myself of physical nourishment and depend on you for my nourishment that I'm going to run to you, Father, and depend on you only, and not just spiritually, but I'm going to do that physically at the same time to show you my desperation. Now, the problem is and arises when we use that as kind of a trick formula to, to get from God's hand what we want. That's not the goal. Please don't hear, hey, maybe if I fast, then God will give me the answer that I want. God's sovereign, and he loves you, and he has decreed all things, And the goal of prayer is that we would be more broken and more humble and more dependent and we would trust him as we take those things to him. It's not a formula where you do the right things and you say the right word and out comes the gumball that you're looking for. But prayer is that you and I get to know God. Our biggest desire for this series is that you and I just want to know God more. We want to spend time with God more than than we did yesterday is that I just want to spend more time with God in prayer. Not so that I can get something from him, but just so I can be with him, that I can know him, that I can enjoy him, that I can trust him more, that I can give him those cares and let him carry those burdens so that I can walk in rest in his, bear, in his burden because it's easy and his yoke is light. So I'm going to keep giving those cares, giving those stresses, giving those things, giving those desires to him, and I'm going to take his peace. And I'm going to trust him and his plan and his character. I know that he can. I'm asking that he will. And I can trust his heart in the meantime. Does that make sense? But he's out there mourning. He's praying. He's been doing that for three weeks, as we just saw. And then it says this in verse 5. I lifted up my eyes and looked. And behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face... Like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. So, this is a pretty intense scene here. This is no ordinary heavenly being. In fact, to give you, welcome you into the argument here, um, many scholars, commentators that I respect and trust claim that this is a pre-incarnate Christ. And the reason they do that is because this description, that he's clothed in linen, he's got a, a belt of gold wrapped around him, his face is like lightning, his eyes are like flames, burnished bronze on his legs, voice like the sound of the multitude, is eerily similar to the description of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter one. Like, shockingly similar. And I'll read it to you just so you can see it for yourself. This is John writing years later in Revelation chapter 1. It says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. Refined in a furnace, and his voice doesn't say a multitude. It says was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he had seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the shining, or the sun shining in full strength. So you see the similarities here. So many commentators, without giving names and pastors and theologians and things, but many that I read regularly and respect. Um, claim that this is a pre-incarnate Christ, that this is Jesus in the flesh before he was born of a manger in Bethlehem. Now, here's the other side of the argument. The reason that some people don't, and I have many pastors and theologians and people that I read and respect fall on this side of the argument, that the reason that they say it's not Jesus is because we see in a couple of verses later that this being says that um, an angel came to help him. And my thoughts would be, why would Jesus Christ himself need help? Especially a pre-incarnate version of Jesus Christ. Now, we obviously see Jesus on earth and angels tend to him because he was fully man and fully God. But why would Jesus, before he takes on um, you know, the brokenness of our humanity, why would he need help? Um, that shows up in, I believe, verse 13. If you want to look down a little bit, um, it says... Uh, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. So my argument would be, I just find it hard to say with certainty that Jesus would need help with things. Um, so if you ask me, Um, but then you got to answer, okay, well, what does help mean? Is it like a father asking, you know, letting his son help? Yeah, son, you can come over here and help. Do you really need the help? No, but you can come and take this because I'm going to go here. Is it one of those kind of helps? I don't know. The Hebrew word is the same word that's used for Eve in the garden, that she would help Adam. And I see there though, that it wasn't good when Adam was by himself. He needed the help. So I don't know. If you want to ask me, I have my feet firmly planted in midair. I just don't know. I really don't. And I don't think whether or not it was Jesus. Can you guys hear me back there? Perfect. Um, I don't think, here we are. Wonderful in all of his ways. I don't think the point is that you and I would fight and argue about whether or not it was Jesus because we know that whether it was an angel or whether it was Jesus himself, all of the the help and all of the aid comes from God. It's all from him. So for us to fight and bicker about who it was is irrelevant. I'm just going to refer to it as a heavenly being, all right? You can read more, you can study more. I'll go on that journey with you. But I can't say with integrity that I know which one this is. Does that make sense? So... This angelic being, this heavenly being shows up and it has a starking similarity to the description of Jesus in Revelation chapter one. And it says this in verse seven of Daniel chapter 10, and I, Daniel alone, saw the vision For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. So another reason why some people think this was Jesus. If you remember Acts 9, when Jesus shows up to Saul on the Damascus road, what happens? All the people with Saul can't see what's happening. They flee and they can't see all of the goodness that's happening right now in Saul's life. What do we see right here? This heavenly being shows up, all the people with Daniel scatter and they don't get to witness how incredible this is. They see the effects of it, but they don't get to see it for themselves. More evidence, do with it what you want. But we see here that this being shows up and we're gonna see something that happens often, that it says this, that Daniel gets weak. His face is radiant. It starts to change, but he grows weak. And notice what happens here. He says this in verse 9. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So as soon as this being starts speaking, Daniel gets knocked out. He's there. His face is changing. All of this is happening. As soon as this being speaks, Daniel gets knocked to the ground and he's face first on the ground asleep. I would call that he's out cold, right? That as soon as this being speaks, he's out. He's already feeling weak just in the presence of this being. And as soon as this being starts speaking, he goes out cold. And the holiest of men, the weakest of men, the strongest of men and women tremble in the presence of God. We just do. And I would argue this is one of the reasons that we don't pray, because of our pride. We don't pray because praying is one of the most humbling and you could argue humiliating things that you could do. It is a lesson in humility. Every time I pray, what am I doing? I am recognizing that you are God, I am not. You're in control, I am not. I think I'm in control, but you're actually in control and I defer to you. And that humbles us every single time. And it's one of the reasons we all struggle with prayer because, boy, do we like to think that we're in control, that we've got this, that, God, I can handle this. Prayer, a prayerless life is essentially saying, the enemy's not all that bad. God, you don't care all that much, and I've got this on my own. That's what a life absent of prayer essentially says. I'm not too scared about what's gonna happen, and i don't think you're that interested in my life and i'm going to take care of this by myself and we see daniel just in the very presence of god either through jesus or this angel either one is god's divine agent in this moment instantly grow weak and man what's so fascinating about prayers and on one hand i feel weak i feel inadequate when I pray to the Lord, I feel like, God, I, I'm out of control. I, I, have no, I, I, I can't change my circumstance. I don't have any power to raise my kids the way I should or to fix my marriage or to save my grandpa. Like I don't have any power to do. I'm, I'm powerless. I'm weak before you. But at the same time, I feel stronger than I've ever been. Why? Because I know he has all the power. And he is able, and he loves me, and he's for me, not against me. And he has a desire for people to hear the gospel and awaken to new life. And you see it in Daniel. He's weak, but also his face is radiant at the same time. That's prayer in a nutshell. It's I'm broken, I'm empty, I have no control over this. I wanna think I do. So many times I believe the lie that I do. God, I'm weak and humble and broken before you, but I'm also stronger than I've ever felt today because I know you love me and you care for me. And if we can get over our pride, if I can get over my pride, man, will I pray more? But you see Daniel praying to the Lord. And he says this, then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground and behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man, greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I've been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. So put it all together. It's like we're doing burpees here. Daniel is standing, he's praying, he hears the voice, he's on his face, out cold. And then this being touches him and brings him up, standing and trembling before him. Burpee number one, right? And what does he say? You're greatly loved. We're gonna see this theme over and over and over again. Daniel grows weak, and this being says, but you're greatly loved. And that's where his strength comes from. If you wanna know what a great prayer relationship looks like, God, I'm weak, and God's response is, but you're greatly loved. God, I can't do this, but you're greatly loved. God, I can't save this loved one. God, I can't fix this situation. I can't repair this relationship. I can't cause them to believe the gospel. I'm powerless. And God says, but you're greatly loved. And I love you. And I care for you. God, I can't get through this season. The pain is just too much. And the response is, and you're greatly loved. And my grace is sufficient to get you through each day. I will give you what you need. I will give you enough grace to get you through each moment. I see you. I hear you. And I love you. So Daniel's now standing, and he's trembling. He stood up trembling. <clears throat> and I love this. He sees the vision, he hears the words, he feels the touch, and he, the man speaks, and the response is, you're loved. And it says this in verse 12. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand, and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I've come because of your words. Don't miss those little details there. Fear not, Daniel, why? You've been praying for three weeks, and this is hard for Daniel, why? Because in Daniel chapter nine, Daniel prays to God, and before he even finishes his prayer, an angel's there. He can't even finish the prayer. And there's an angel showing up in his presence. Communicating with him. Daniel has now been praying for three weeks. No answer. So imagine what he's feeling. Imagine what he's saying to himself. Probably a lot of the same things I say to myself and you say to yourself when you're praying and you go, God, I feel like I'm not doing anything. I feel like you don't hear me. I feel like you don't care. Daniel's walking through this three-week period. And what does the angel say? Fear not. Why? From the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. Here is God through this agent or through Jesus looking at Daniel and saying, hey, Daniel, I've heard you from the very first prayer. And some of you need to hear that this morning. If you feel like you haven't got a response, if you feel like God's been distant or God doesn't care, Hear the words of God this morning that you're greatly loved, and God says, "Hey, I've heard the very first prayer you've prayed, and I've heard everyone since, From the first day I heard you. There's a moment in Genesis where Abraham and Isaac, or Abraham and Sarah are promised a child, and they don't like to wait, so they end up disobeying God, and he has a, a, a child out of his marriage, and eventually, God rebukes him. Um, Abraham repents. They get blessed with Isaac, their son. And essentially God says, hey, the lineage of Christ, this promised blessing is going to go through Isaac. But they start going, well, what about Ishmael? Can you not just use him? Can you not just let the promise go through him? And what does God say? He says, no, but I've heard you. He says, hey, I hear your prayer. The answer is no, but I hear every single prayer that you pray. I hear you. And we see this being show up to Daniel and he says, hey, I've heard every single prayer you've prayed from the moment you started. When you approach God with a humble heart, it's not a formula thing, but when you approach God broken and say, hey, I need you, and you give your request and your prayers to him, he hears you. He says, as soon as you did that, I heard you. From the first day that you prayed, I heard you. It's not because you followed a formula but it's because you genuinely and honestly wanted to communicate with me. And when you draw near to me, James says, I will draw near to you. And I heard your prayer. And notice that he says this too, though. Your words have been heard. And look at the last sentence of of verse 12. I have come, why? Because of your words. Hey, it's your prayers that are the reason that I'm here. I've come because you prayed. We have to hear this and can't ignore this, that God responds to prayer. And yes, God's sovereign, and he's seen the beginning from the end, and he ordains all things, he ordains all ends. He's already determined what's gonna happen, but he also ordains the means by which those things happen. And the means by which the majority of things happen in this world is the people of God come to God in prayer. So run to him. God responds to our prayers. He responds when his people run to him with their requests and with their cares, with their anxieties, with their issues. God is sovereign in controlling the whole world, holding it together by the word of his power, but he's also intimately personal and cares about your family and cares about your children and cares about your stress at work and cares about all of those things. He is all powerful, but he's also all personal. And he longs for you to run to him. And he responds, he hears your request and he moves because of our requests. And he says, hey, it's because of your words that I am here. I've come because of your words. Verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. This is still this heavenly being talking. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days for the vision is for days yet to come. So here's where things get a little crazy. And here's where I had to really dial in this week. And hey, I, this is a part of, of the Christian life that I completely ignore. And what's happening here? This heavenly being says, hey, I was contending with the prince of Persia. He was withstanding me. We were contending and fighting and battling one another. And he says, but Michael, one of the chief princes, one of these chief angels came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what's to happen. So, hey, I was contending, right? So you prayed three weeks ago. I've spent the last three weeks contending with the prince of Persia. Now, he's not talking about a human here. He's talking about a demonic being, an agent of Satan. He's talking in the spiritual realm that this is all going on as we pray, that there are angelic beings and there are demonic beings going to war with one another, contending with one another. And that word prince there is the hint. It's it's kind of the key. The enemies referred to the prince of the power of the air. Multiple times in scripture, he's referred to as a prince. He's he's the the king or the, the, the prince of this world as it says in the epistles. But this being is saying, hey, I was contending with this prince of Persia for three weeks. And then Michael came, and now I'm here. And then he says this. When he had spoken to me, according, <clears throat> when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. So here he is again. The heavenly being speaks, and on the ground he goes. In the presence of God, through this angel, through Jesus, however it's coming through, when he's in the presence of God and he hears the words of God speaking through this agent on the ground once again, and he's mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips, then opened my mouth and spoke. And I said to him, who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. And I love this in verse 17. How can my Lord's servant? He's talking about himself, talk with my Lord. For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. So in the middle of this, Daniel just stops and he goes, How am I supposed to communicate with you? It's exhausting. And for some of you, this is prayer. I never feel more mentally drained and distracted, and like I'm actually exercising mentally than when I'm trying to pray. It is a battle. And we talked about this last week. The battle is fought and won in prayer. God can do more in our families, more in our lives, more in this community in one moment than any of us can do in a lifetime. Without his power, we are helpless. And the battle is fought and won in prayer. We can strive and labor and tarry all we want but unless god decides to move we do it in vain the battle is fought and won in prayer and there's a reason that it's an exercise there's a reason that it's exhausting because satan would want nothing more than for us to plan bible studies to start classes to have services without prayer because that's where the power comes from satan does not care about prayerless bible studies prayerless family meetings, prayerless marriages, prayerless churches, but he will tremble when we pray. Why? Because when we pray, the spiritual realm starts to move. Because God starts to respond to the requests of his people, and he starts to do things. And Satan is powerless against the power of God. Man, is that convicting to me. So many times I say, no, thanks, God. I'm gonna go try and fix my family. I'm gonna go try and reason with you know my cousin or my brother or whoever. I'm gonna go and convince them. I'm gonna change their heart. I'm gonna evangelize these people, God. I'm not gonna pray and ask you to awaken their hearts. I've got the ability to do that. Couldn't I be further from the truth? The one thing Satan would love for the American church to do, and he's been pretty successful at it, is to do all of these things without prayer. To gather To go through the motions and not ask God to move in our midst by his power. Said it last week. This um, pastor in um, Korea came to America, and his evaluation of his time in America was I'm amazed at what the American church can do without God. We sing songs, we do all these initiatives, and we don't pray. Why do we need to pray? Why do we need to engage in this exhausting battle? to keep our minds focused and to to run to the Lord in prayer because God hears our prayer, he assures us of his love and he starts to move things in the spiritual realm when we pray. He longs to answer the request of his children according to his good pleasure and his will. And I love Daniel just getting honest. How am I supposed to talk to you? It's exhausting. And what does he say? Again, when having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me and he said, oh man, greatly loved. Fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you've strengthened me. So here he is again. Where does his strength come from? Hey, you are greatly loved. I hear you. I see you. You're loved. Now interact with me. Speak to me. This is the battle of prayer. We come to the Lord. God, I feel broken. God, I feel weak. God, I'm helpless. And God says, I know you are. I love you. And my grace is sufficient for you. You are loved. You are heard. Now go. I'm going to work in the spiritual realm, and I'm going to work through you. Be strengthened by my love. And then he says this. We'll wrap up the, uh, the vision here, or the beginning of the vision. It says, then he said, do you know why I've come to you? But now I return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. Now this is fascinating. Daniel chapter eight, Daniel's already seen visions about the rise and fall of kingdoms. Um, But we know, according to human history, who is the next world power to come after Persia? Years after this, like soon after this, Alexander the Great was coming from Greece and he was going to take over the known world. And what does this being say? He says, I'm going to return and fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. That there's another one coming and he will defeat Persia, be the world power of the day. And this is what's fascinating with this whole concept, is you see these spiritual beings associated with different groups of people. There's a prince, there's this demonic presence in Persia, there's this demonic presence in Greece. Um, I would argue, based on scripture, that Satan is phenomenal at what he does. And he has demons and agents that are over large groups of people. And the the, the natural question is, does he have one over America? And to that, I would say, look around. I think he does. He is great at what he does. And he has dispatched his demons to cause countries and nations to fall into darkness, to turn away from the word of God, to fight with one another, nation against nation, to turn from how God has ordained and and created the world and to fall into darkness, to worship lesser things and to not hear the gospel. And the one thing he would not want us to do is to pray for our country and for this nation and for the people in it. We see this, that the devil has authority that God has given him on this earth. And that sounds really weird to say, but he's on a leash. But we see that right now, Satan has power. But there is one area where he is powerless and he has no authority. And where is that? The kingdom of God. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the cross, Satan has been defeated. That he cannot contend with the the gospel message sinking into someone's heart. Jesus says that I've got you in my hand and no one can snatch you out. That when I call you and you repent and you trust in me, you're sealed by my spirit and no one can take you. No one can snatch you out of my hand. So what's the one thing that Satan would long to do? To stop you from hearing the gospel message. It's the parable of the sower. The birds there just want to snatch all of the seed so it doesn't take root. The one thing he would not want you to do, the one thing he'd not want your siblings to do, your family to do, this country to do, is to hear the truth about God. He will go to war to keep us from hearing and receiving and believing the truth. It is imminent that we be a people of prayer for our family, for our children, for this community, for this country, for the world. Because Satan is actively against us hearing the truth. And God will move when we pray and we ask him to open our hearts, open our family's hearts, open our children's hearts to hear and receive the truth. And we see that in the next verse says this in verse 21. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. Why was Satan and this prince of Persia resisting for three weeks? Because you prayed and I was coming to give you truth. I was coming to give you the words of God. And he's contending over and over again. For three weeks he was contending. But he can't overcome me. He can't overcome God. And now I'm here. And I've come here to tell you truth and he says there's no one who contends by my side against these except Michael your prince and Daniel was told and the the, you're there Michael your prince is plural he's referring to Israel he's referring to the, the nation of God but the beauty of the gospel this morning is we have a different contender and it's not an angel it's God himself in Jesus Christ that he is at the right hand of the Father contending for us as we pray, as we follow him, as we fall into sin. I've paid for that. He's interceding for us. I've paid for that. My blood was sufficient for that. I've paid for that. Hear their prayers, not based on their righteousness, but on my righteousness. From the day you started praying, I heard you. And I'm moving and I'm working in the spiritual realm. And the point of the sermon isn't that for us to, to, to get caught up in what's happening there. Oh, maybe God didn't answer my prayer because you know He's He's too busy contending with. Uh, no, the battle's won at the cross. The gospel cannot be stopped. It's the power of God unto salvation. Satan knows his time is limited. He cannot stop the church. By church, I mean the believers. He cannot stop the gospel message from going forth. All he can do is try to keep you and keep us from hearing the truth. And try to keep us from praying for people to hear the truth. Because he knows his time is limited. He knows he's on a leash. So as the people of God, hear the word this morning. Let's be a people who pray. Who know the truth, who love the truth, who share the truth. And who pray for others to hear the truth about God. He cannot stop it. He can only distract us. He can only snatch the seed He can only get me to watch former episodes of Alone on Netflix instead of being involved in the lives of unbelievers. He can distract the church. But if you are in Christ, he cannot snatch you from his hand. He cannot possess you. He cannot overcome you. He cannot indwell you. You are sealed and marked by the Spirit of God. You have a greater contender than Michael. You have Jesus Christ. For some of you in here, maybe you need for today to be the day. That you put your faith in that greater contender, in Jesus Christ. He lived a life that we could never live. And he went to the cross for our sin. The righteous for the unrighteous. The innocent for the guilty. So that you and I could have a direct line to God. To pray, to communicate, to bear our hearts. And to, to, through our prayers, see the, the spiritual realm be changed not just for, their, for the sake of the spiritual realm, but for our realm, so that people's hearts would come to know the Lord. Amen? Let's be a people who pray. We'll close in prayer. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that we would be a people. God, before we try to strive, before we try to endure, Before we try to to go and make change happen with our own actions and words, God, that we would be a praying people. You say in 1 John 3 8 that Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Satan is powerless to hold the law against us if we're in Christ, he's powerless to hold the fear of death over us if we're in Christ. So, God, help us to be a people who love the truth, who run to you with our cares. God, I pray that we would see lives in this church and in this community changed, not based on our efforts, but because of your power at work through our prayer. We love you. All the glory goes to you.